Uh, yesterday, I did something because of you guys. It's your fault that I'm suffering today. Uh, July 4th, we won the uh, show. Yay, there it is. The, the wagon for the uh, parade. But right behind our float was another float that um, I went back and said, well, what's, what, you got, what are you guys all about? And they gave me some information. Uh, we are the zucchini float. Uh, we're going to do a 5K run uh, in, in Chardon. And, and uh, they did it yesterday. And I said, well, let me take one of these flyers. And so I was thinking about, uh, I need to meet some people. So what I did is I signed up to go the one-mile walk, uh, zucchini run, one-mile walk, fun walk or run, and 5K walk or run. <clears throat> and so as I got into the... Uh, as I got into the service, you got that for us, Bob? I started yesterday morning thinking it was going to run, but I joined the, uh, I was going to do the one mile walk. <laughs> uh, but I ended up, uh, I'll tell you a story uh, in a moment, uh, as soon as we find it, but I ended up in the last place, and so I got this award, the Zucchini Run, uh, the last Zucchini. And the reason why I was last was because I was walking with a lady you'll see in the picture uh, who's a professor at Cleveland State. And we got to talking, got to talking, and I forgot the one mile mark, and so I went and did the 5K. <laughs> so my legs, my legs are sore today. And I wanted to show you that. Can you get that picture up there, Bob, if you turn it on? And so I will tell you there's a couple of things about this. Because after the, the 5K walk, and I'm stiff, I'm, I'm hurting today. Um, I met a man at the tent, and the 5K zucchini run was for mental health, uh, for a center that's, that's uh, going up, and they're working out of Metzenbaum Center. But I met this man named Wen, and are you there? Almost there. Oh, this is, well, I can show you here. No, you get the wrong one. Well, I met this Chinese student nurse. And his name is Wen. Uh, Wen uh, Wensei. And we had a talk after the, the run. And we, I knew when I went there, I thought, okay, Lord, is this a chance for me not only to exercise my, or torture my body, but to... Uh, uh, to learn how to share the Christ. And so I'm always keeping my antenna up to see what God is doing and to help uh, share the gospel for people. And so, and you don't have that picture there. I'm sorry about that. So anyway, here's the story. Uh, we, we're in the book of Acts, and I want to share with you something about uh, the book of Acts that has a story, and you're going to get the rest of the story in a minute. But... Uh, as I'm listening to him talk about his change from uh, China into America, I'm listening to what his impressions were, and I know what it's like to cross cultures. And uh, having struggled with English and struggled with Japanese, I asked him a lot of questions that would help him uh, grow and, uh, and understand his experience. Well, we went for an hour. And as we talked about the different worldviews, different systems of the Chinese political system, the American political system, the tariff, politics, Trump, 
culture, his wife. His, we went through so many things. And uh, we had a wonderful time, but it reminded me so much about what we're doing in the book of Acts. And so in the book of Acts, for those of you who know, uh, the book of Acts is a single story, but the Luke-Acts story has a uh, has volume one and volume two. And as you read the book of Acts, if you separate those two, you're going to miss something that I don't want you to miss. And so I want to get into that today. So if you go to Hollywood and you listen to the screenwriters or you go to any good novelist or author will follow this system from, it's an old system from the Greeks on, that there's a, a teaching about life as it's happening, as it's unfolding. And as the story develops, there's usually a challenge, there's some problem, some enemy, some um, protagonist comes in. And the story moves where there's training, like you get, uh, you need somebody to train you like Yoda. So Luke meets Yoda, and so they get training, and then there's a test, and then there's a fight, and there's a climax, and then there's victory, and then there's a celebration as you come down that, that mountain. Well... At the end of the story, here's your French word. Any French speakers here? The denouement. And the denouement is, is a word that you will forget. But it means it's the final part of the play. It's the final part of the movie or the narrative which, which uh, strands the plot, uh, strings the plot all together and, it ma- and all the matters, all the details are explained. Now, you don't know the word denouement, but you know the meaning. It's like at the end of the clue game, you open up that little envelope and you see, Mr. Green did it with a candlestick in the kitchen. So it's explained what happened. You know this because you watch television. And and so Colombo would explain, or Perrault, or Father Brown, Sherlock Holmes, at the end of their stories, they explain the, the whole mystery and solved. We have this word public denouement with coming up this week with uh, this guy. You know him as Mueller reports his, his report. It's going to be a big story. But here's the thing. If you're in the book of Luke and you, you follow the story mountain as it rises up you find Christ being crucified and then he's resurrected at the end of Luke. And if you stop there, you're just at the top, but you don't have any understanding why, what that meant. What did, what did all that mean? That Christ died and, and they didn't understand everything. But if you don't read the book of Acts, you won't understand the full story. So the book of Acts is the denouement. The book of Acts is the opening up and the explanation of of what happens after the cross, what happens after the resurrection, what happens after the ascension. And so this is a very important book, as we talked about last week, that this book's story is not just the beginning with the book of Luke and starting there, but it's, it's continuing on to a higher climax. And therefore... As uh, Dr. Beck has said, that the book of Acts is so often forgotten or misunderstood. But what the book of Acts, what Luke wanted to do in the book of Acts is to teach the believers that, that God's working through Jesus to usher in, and here it is, a new era, a new 
kingdom, a promised way of thinking about life and reality, that the Spirit of God is coming in to do His work next. And so the book of Acts is going to be the fulfillment of everything He promised in Luke, what Jesus did on the cross. Now the Spirit of God was going to take what Jesus did and apply it to the new people in the kingdom of God so that the people of God would be God's people even in a hostile world that crucifies Christ. Now that's the story. As it continues, and I mentioned last week, my concern for the church in America, having been in Japan for 15 years and coming back and seeing the church is probably at its weakest in dealing with our culture in a hostile world. But my concern last week is that we would lose that we would lose the focus of a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, and we would buy into an unbiblical worldview. And so there's this tension, this conflict, and the question is, how does God's Spirit use God's people to work in God's world? And so that's what we were doing last week. You remember last week that I talked about these two things, that there is a way of seeing the world and seeing God in the world, and the two themes there were that God was transcendent, that God, as a Christian, we would think about the Lord being transcendent in a way that the non-believer doesn't think about the Lord. So for us to say that God is transcendent, we would say that God is overall, He's sovereign overall, He's totally in control, and He's the King, He's the Lord, He's the authority. We understand, not only is He king and authority, the highest power out there, but that he's also a personal God and a God who speaks into the world. And not only is he personal God, a king, Lord, in control, transcendent, but he's also, second word was imminent. That's the presence of God in the world and that he is not only out there, but he is in here. And therefore he has come into the world to take us out of the world or take the world out of us. And therefore, these two themes I talked about that last week that there's a secular worldview and the secular world is not the sacred world. The word secular means second, time bound, from the time you're born to the time you die, that's all there is. It's a secular worldview. And that secular worldview is going to be man-centered. It's going to be not God-centered, but it's man-centered. And so man is the most important uh, uh, focal point, as opposed to the biblical worldview that man has a place, but Christ is the one that's supreme. So Christ transcends, or man transcends. And so when we looked at that last week, I want to bring this into play, because as you're talking about the ascension of Christ, the Christ is ascending to heaven but he's there not just to stay there, he's going to descend in the Holy Spirit so that the church can ascend again. And so that's, what, that's the context we're talking about these passages. And so as we're thinking about how God is helping us think like he thinks, we will be developing a biblical, a Christian worldview. And it's so radically different than the, than the non-believer. So we want to understand that. And that's why... I wanted to go back, and if you haven't got one of these cards, I just wanted you to know these are available here. Because we want to be, as a community of Christians, we are a learning community. 
we are a forgiven community and we want to be a forgiven, forgiving community as we learn. But you guys have seen this before. This is new for the, those. But there are five things I'm pushing, teaching, pounding, trying to get you guys to understand that we as a church, as, as a whole church, we are to be Christ-centered, not human-centered. We, we want to be people who are anchored in the book where we believe the God who's transcendent above us and imminent with us, he has revealed himself in a way that you personally know the king. For the kingdom of God is the only political system where to get into the system, to get into the country, you have to know the king on a first name basis. And God has revealed that. And therefore, God isn't a mystery to us. God isn't confusing. He has revealed himself in many ways through his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we believe that our understanding is based on God's revelation. And that revelation is our authority. And therefore, we hold those things because we believe that the God who is there has come here to redeem us and bring us back. And so the redemptive story is very, very powerful for us because we know that we are not the people that we want to be, but we are the people God made us to be. And through the gospel of Christ, he restores our soul. That's why we sang today, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And when you lift up your soul to Christ, Christ's spirit does something in your soul. Not in your performance, not in your belief system, in your very soul. And therefore, the spirit of God's people comes alive when they find the living God living in their heart. And we move into that idea that when God's spirit moves in, there's restoration in a way that you move from one kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that's a process where we slowly change as we walk with Christ, as Christ introduces uh, new things to us day by day. And therefore, with each passing moment, we find strength to meet our trials with Christ right with us. But that's not the way it is all over the world. So you are a peculiar people, Peter says. But let me just show you, give you a quick trip around the world for a reason, because it's going to set us up for the rest of the story. There are people who live in a world that says that there are many gods. And you don't have to have one God, but there's a plurality of gods. And therefore, if you go to Thailand, uh, you will find an alternative style or alternative approach to religion. And there's lots of ways to God, they will say. Or you'll go into the Middle East and you'll find that there is one God and that one God has a different name than the God that you call upon. But you hear people talk about God in a way that doesn't relate to Scripture. It doesn't match. It's an alternative approach. And you'll see this if it's not just a man worship, like in Thailand where they worship the king, or in, in China where you find Taoism, which is what uh, my friend Wen, as a Buddhist, was part of the Buddhist system. So you, there, there are alternative thinking patterns, worldviews, but if you get into these religions around the world, you'll find that there's lots of people who are doing lots of religious things, but the gods who are there don't answer them. The Wiccan religion, when I went into prison, and, and those Wiccans would say, Dr. DeHart, do you realize that you're surrounded by five Wiccans? 
I said, do you five Wiccans realize that you're surrounded by Jesus Christ? And, and there's a power confrontation. They don't, they don't understand it. But the leader of the Wiccan group said, I've been praying to those pagan gods all my life. And they never show up. And the reason why they don't show up is what David said in Psalm 115. He says, they have mouth, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. These are the guys that people are praying to. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. And so you find people going into all kinds of religious systems, but there's no personal God there. There's just a system that's dysfunctional that keep people down because it's not a personal God that's transcendent and imminent. They believe in a God. People say, I believe in God. People believe in their higher powers. But whether you're Buddhist or Hindu, or if you are multiplying all these things and bring them all together, what you will hear in your conversations with people, in the, as people tell their story, that all religions are basically the same, aren't they? All, there are many paths to God. And uh, aren't Mormons just the same as Baptists? I mean, they pray to Jesus. And if you're a Catholic and a Christian, it's, it's all, it doesn't make a difference what you call yourself, right? Well, this, these are the religious systems that we deal with. And if you bring them all together, what you have is this big word where people assimilate, like toss salad, syncretism. They bring them together. And as you do so, uh, you realize that this isn't the Lord. This is a man-made conglomeration, uh, an aggregation of many systems. But David said, not to us. It's not to us as humans, but to you, O Lord. Uh, because, but to your name give glory, because your loving kindness and because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens, transcendent. Our God is in the heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. But their idols are silver or wood or gold, the the works of man's hands. Now, the last passage uh, in Psalm 15 was, those who make them will become like them. And that's the point I want to focus on, that those who worship God, those who worship those gods will become like their gods because you become like whatever you worship. And your focus will shape who you are and who you think and how you relate. And therefore, as we move through, as N.T. Wright said, if you focus on something long enough, you become like that which you focus on. It becomes an emotional focus. And the reason why that's important is because it defines our culture. I don't know if you know this, but the root word of culture is cult. What's cult mean? Cult means worship. Did you know that? And culture is a reflection of what a nation most highly values and worships. And so the highest thing in your understanding of who you are and the image of who you can become is based on what you worship. A cult is abnormal worship. And you become something that's just the opposite of what you're supposed to be. But in our culture, what we worship in our culture is money, power, and personal freedoms. 
And therefore, we will follow and pursue on a human, secular worldview. We become something that we become egocentric or ethnocentric. And therefore, we have a sense of thinking and being in the world where we begin to tell other people, go home. You don't belong here. And it shapes our thinking in such a way that it becomes natural for us to play out. And therefore, when you're dealing with culture, when you're dealing with this transcendent God and adaptive alternative religion, what you end up doing is you adapt to the culture. And as Christians have adapted to the culture, they have forgotten that Christ is the center. They have forgotten that the Bible is real, that there's revelation. They forgot the gospel story that trains, uh, transforms us back. Instead, there is a shifting, a change that is unbiblical. And so we, we are, want to be aware of this because there is an alteration Instead of an assimilation or an alternative, there is an alteration. And this alteration means that we are in danger of losing the gospel message and therefore forfeiting the very power and the presence of Christ with a construction of our own understanding. Paul said it this way to the Galatians. He says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you for a different gospel which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel. Now that's going to require a lot of thinking. And therefore, as you go back in the scripture from the Old Testament to New Testament, the question of which direction are people turning? And Hosea says they turn, but not upward. People are turning, people are changing, people are shifting. New technologies, there's new wineskin, new grape, new wine. And therefore, that adaptation is in danger. And therefore, we are also in danger because it's either going to be Christ against culture or it's a Christ of culture. It's Christ above culture. It's Christ and culture in paradox. We're, in, we're really in a pickle if you start to think that Christ is the one that's going to be transforming culture. All these are different things that we come together and we think about. We think critically. We think intelligently, competently, to say, God, what are you doing on earth? This transcendent God is present in our culture, but people don't see him or hear him because what they have is an altered gospel. This book caught my eye because I thought this is really just the opposite. What you don't have to be believe to be a Christian. And there, there are people out there that are gutting the very core of the Christian. You don't have to believe that Jesus is God. You don't have to believe that Jesus raised from the dead. You don't have to believe that salvation isn't Christ. You don't have to be, you just have to be a good person. Take the Christian values and leave Christ alone. There are groups like that. And therefore, I wanted to bring that to you because here's what I want you to understand is that when the Spirit of God descends upon his people, he does a certain kind of work. And the work begins with A, since I'm all in A's today. Is he aligns the spirit. He aligns your spirit. He brings your spirit back together. And therefore you think like you follow him. You understand and you align your spirit with his spirit. And therefore walking in the spirit means 
that as I understand Christ and who he is and what he's doing, then I arrange my life in a line, in a correct and appropriate position, as I want to follow Christ and I walk with him. Now that's what Jesus called us to do. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. I am teacher, I'm transcendent, I'm Lord, and you're right. But he says to the, the people, uh, can the blind lead the blind? And if you're following a false religion, how will you know? How will you know? They're both going to fall into the pit. But Jesus says to his disciples, a disciple is not above his teacher. But every disciple who learns to follow Christ and aligns the Spirit becomes like his teacher. And therefore, the mark of the Christian is the mark of Christ imprinted on your life in such a way that people see Christ in you. And Jesus would have people say, well, if you call me Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You can't be misaligned and find the fruit of Christ in your life. And therefore, Jesus would always teach before he left, abide in my words. Abide in my words. And my words will abide in you. My Father will come. And this transcendent Father, this relationship will become present. And you will have life in Christ. And you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. That's the freedom that Christ says that if you think like a biblical worldview, you're going to walk in a way that's different than other people because you're going to know me. And knowing me, you'll enjoy me as I enjoy you. Okay, so here's the point. Last week, we talked about God being transcendent. Last week, we talked about God being imminent. Am I a God who is, uh, <clears throat> am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God who is far off? You'll see this peppered all the way through Scripture. God is with you. Emmanuel, God is with us. And therefore, so I, I see him, uh, declares the Lord, and don't I feel the heavens and the earth? And this was the story of Hagar. When Hagar left Ab Abraham and she's out in the desert, Hagar sees God and God sees Hagar and he says, you are a God who sees. The New American Standard says, you are a God who sees. You are a transcendent God. You see everything. But the NIV goes a little bit further than the Hebrew here. He says, you are the one who sees me. Now that thought, God sees me, is he not only is transcendent, but he's imminent. God sees people. He sees you. He sees me. He sees the particulars. And when Hagar responded, he says, you are a God who sees me. And so she recognizes that she's in connection with God and direct communication with the Father. There are a lot of religions who talk about seeing, God seeing from the Lord of the Rings, remember the eye, the Sador, the, the dollar bill. A lot of religions will talk about a seeing God. But the one who says, this God sees me. And he knows my needs. She said, uh, you are a God who sees. Okay, let me go on down. If God is transcendent and he's sovereign in authority, and God is present in his imminence. His present means he's engaging the one he, he sees. Here's the kicker. 
you too, as a Christian, as a human, can be transcendent, can be imminent, like Christ was, in the sense that you too are over-sovereign over your kitchen, over your yard, over your car. You have been given a position to be a steward over your world in such a way that you reflect Christ in your world as Christ cares for his world. You too can be raised above and not be brought below creation. But you're also to be imminent because that presence, who you are matters. And your engagement, your presence with people, likewise, you are to reflect Christ in your relationships. As John says, as he is, so also are we in the world. So you've got this idea that the God is transcendent, humans can be transcendent. We become like God in that way that we control our world. But we also do so in a way where the Spirit of God comes in and he helps change me to think the way he thinks. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in the book of Acts. Now, as we jump into the book of Acts, uh, we do so to continue this story. Because it's just the beginning of how God is working in your life in your relationships, in your world, in such a way that he begins his kingdom work, that you show God's thinking values, his heart, his emotions. All that he does is wisdom in the way you live your life in your world. And that's where the book of Acts comes in. You know, in the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 2, there's a similarity in Pentecost. How does God start the world in Genesis? by his speaking his word. How does he begin the new work in the kingdom? By speaking his word. And as the fire comes down from on the bush where Moses and doesn't consume Moses, so Pentecost comes down and the fire that consumes the disciples that doesn't burn them up begins with a word of fire. From the beginning of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, the idea is God is communicating. God is seeing. God is working. God is moving. But that Pentecost fire isn't just about an experience. It's about the fact that God's presence is going to be so hot, so alive. It's moving, but it's a word that's alive. And therefore, when you get into the study of Acts 2... Here's the first thing that comes out. Besides the speaking in tongues, the languages of the nations, and this is a one-time event, it's, a, uni it's a, a kairos moment where it's only going to happen this one time. But did you notice in that book of Acts where he begins with the nations? I wanted to draw your attention to something. Because I think this is really, you'll miss it if you don't do the, the study. He gives a list of 15 nations. Now notice these nations, the Elamites and the Medes in the first century. They're to the, they're, they're to the east. And then he moves to the uh, Cappadocia, Mesopotamia. And he moves right on through this list as he goes from east to west. And what he does is he gives a panorama of how God's working. All these Jews from all these countries come in. But I want to go back to one thing to mention. And here's the point. 
the Elamites and the Medes were the ones that destroyed Israel. They were the Babylonians. They were the ones who, the Assyrians that took, they were the enemies of God. Now hear this. God gives his spirit to those who are from an enemy camp. Huh? So if you're thinking, you, you probably have that same look like, huh? God is at work among your enemies. God wants to reach those who don't know him. Those who have alternative gods, who have alternative political systems. But God gives his spirit to the enemies. And so the Elamites and the, Med and the, and the Medes and the Parthenians, that group, that first group are the enemies of God. They hurt God's people. And God forgave them and gives them his spirit. Likewise, those who have hurt you, those who are your enemies, you have the ability and the power to be transcendent over those who've hurt you. You have the power to be imminent and engage those who've damaged you. As God is in the world, so are you. And God's giving his spirit to those who don't know him. The second group, uh, the second group in the list of nations, they're Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia. This is the homeland of Abraham. This is the Ur of the Chaldees. This is family. God gives his spirit to his own family in the regions around, as God will give his spirit to your family and those who are connected immediately around you. The enemies, the families, and then the last, the last you'll see Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. These are strangers. These are foreigners. These are the uttermost people at the end of the world. God is interested, and there's a point to this, God is interested in those who don't know him. Those who are alternative religions, and therefore in this list, God's bringing in all the nations right there in Pentecost. And these 15 nations become a symbol of how God's Spirit's working to reach the whole world. One more thought. There's a list of different denominations that God is at work. Presbyterian, Methodist, Episcopalian, Mennonites, Jesus people, Catholics, Pentecostals. All the different denominations, Joel says, I'm going to pour out my spirit among the nations. And what that means, and here's what it means. It means the way you think about people You've got to think either transcendent, the God who's out there, who's working among the nations. You need to understand that beginning with the Spirit, that the people that worship a Muhammad belong to Christ. The Hindus who worship all the multiple gods belong to Christ. All the people who belong to Taoism and Taoism in China belong to Christ. Christ made them. They are Christ's people. Therefore, don't misunderstand, but they are people who don't know the God of the universe. Therefore, the Shinto people belong to Christ. The secularists belong to Christ. The atheists belong to Christ. Your family belongs to Your enemies belong. And God's Spirit is going to work among the, all the nations. And that's what's happening in Pentecost. There's an opening up 
where this God commences his work. Whether conservative, white people, illegal criminals, conser- uh, prisoners, young, old, educated, illiterate, sick and dying, 5K runners who get tired, <laughs> you and me, every man, every woman, God is looking for his people. And they've been distorted, diverted, distracted. But that's what's happening with Pentecost. And with the fire coming down from the Spirit, God is on the move, and God is seeking the lost. That's what's happening in this book. Jesus Christ came to die for the sinner, and they're all over the world. And that transcendent God is imminent in the world through his church, who's made alive in the Spirit, who wants to talk to people about Christ. Because they belong to him. Everybody does. Except they've been destroyed, uh, taken captive by alternative religions. Therefore, for us, we understand that God's Spirit still is poured out upon the nations. And he does that. As I started to talk to my Chinese friend at the 5K run, I said to him, when? Uh, you're Buddhist, aren't you? He says, yeah, I'm Buddhist. And here comes the denouement. He says, uh, I don't know anything about Christianity. And I grew up as a Buddhist thinking, well, I'm not a very good Buddhist, and I'm just going to do my own thing. And therefore, without God, I don't believe in God. I don't believe, I just try to be a good person. And there in uh, Chardon, I was able to talk to him about Jesus Christ. He never heard that. He never heard that Jesus Christ was a personal God that you could know. He never heard that. And I was able to share with him something. He says, I never, I never read the Bible. And that was a chance for me, even as the last zucchini. <laughs> uh, I was able to share, God is at work. And if he doesn't bring us to the nations, he brings the nations to us. I'm telling you, God is on the move. But you have to see people as God sees people. And that he'll do that because if you are transcendent, over your own fears and worries. He'll move you in and he'll be present with people. What does that mean for us? It means this. Listen, listen. Love, love. Every person you meet is a special miracle waiting to happen. There's an encounter, a spiritual encounter where you can influence people for Christ. What does it mean? It means you respect everybody on earth. You don't tell anybody you don't belong. You don't tell anybody you go home. You don't tell anybody you don't fit in. God takes us all. And therefore, as you get into Pentecost, you see Pentecost opening this up. And that's why this story is going to be continued. And so the real denouement is going to happen later when all the nations are before the throne. Isn't that exciting? There's something about this. We don't think that way. And if the Spirit of God opens your heart, you begin to open your thinking about how we see people, how Jesus sees people. Everybody's loved by God. And you have a chance to influence them for Christ. Because God sees you, and God sees them. Let's pray. Lord, you are something else. Uh, And I know these thoughts are weighty and heavy and mind-blowing and takes us out of our little world. 
but I just pray for Wynn this morning that you would uh, continue to call him, think about him, that he would come how, somehow come to understand that you see him and all the other nations. Pray for the missionaries that are working among the, the religions in, in Hong Kong and South America. and Father, just uh, pray for us that you would use us as we have a personal Pentecost that we would see you at work in our lives. So Father, we just thank you that you're going to teach us through this book and uh, build this church. And we just ask that you would get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.